When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Sportsman's Voice podcast, your inside connection to the outdoor legislation. From the beltway to policy happening your way, we're covering it all. I'm your host, Fred Bird. Join us as we explore public land access, wildlife and fisheries management, Second Amendment rights, the triumphs that shape our nation, the sports we all love, and the stories that fuel our passion for the great outdoors. This is the Sportsman's Voice podcast. That's right. This is the Sportsman's Voice podcast. I am your host, Fred Bird. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get to this week's guest, let us check in on the stories happening across the nation with this week's TSV Roundup. That's right. This is the TSV Roundup. This week brought to you by Hands Off the Cats, Kids Fishing for a Lifetime, thank you to our governors in the Southeast, and a temporary but all-important victory in Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Let's get into it. Folks, if, uh, if you've been plugged in, you're well aware of what's happening in Colorado with a, a ballot initiative that would ban all mountain lion and bobcat hunting. So on the 22nd of September, anti-hunting advocates filed a proposed ballot measure in Colorado that seeks to ban all hunting and trapping of mountain lions, bobcats, and federally protected Canada lynx. This ballot initiative comes on the heels of the Colorado legislator soundly defeating Senate Bill 22031, which also aimed to restrict predator management, circumvent the authority, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and erode the North American model of wildlife conservation. Congressional Sportsman's Foundation strongly opposed these efforts during the 2023 legislative session and will be working with national and in-state partners to oppose this initiative should it qualify for the 2024 ballot. Folks, this is a terrible idea. As we see across much of the West, um, and even in the East, I can speak, uh, again, as a New Hampshire resident, what's happened with uh, our bobcat populations. These charismatic critters get that special treatment, right? And so we kind of throw conservation management out the window. We, we look at our state agencies and the professionals that work for those state agencies, and we say, well, good science, but uh, we're going to go another way with it. No, we got we to gotta trust these folks, and, and, and you can't give special accommodation because you find one critter over another uh, more pleasant to look at, more aesthetically pleasing. That's, that's not a balance. That's not the right approach. Um, 
uh, truthfully, if, if we took that stance, I don't think a whole lot of stuff would, would be harvested, would be managed, less uh, the wild turkey, because I don't know too many people that find that, other than me and then some of my turkey nut friends, uh, super attractive and, and cute and cuddly. Um, the best thing we can do is, is educate, advocate, and if you're in Colorado, uh, you know, certainly, certainly be involved in the process. This is damaging. I mean, what else can you, can you say here? You know, the use of these ballot initiatives to restrict or ban hunting, like we said, it circumvents the, the legislative and regulatory process that allows for the input by professionals, opportunities, provisions, and considerations of broader impacts within the state. What more can you say? This is, like I said in the onset, this is a terrible idea. So hands off the cats, as we said. Happier stuff. In Arkansas, the legislature passed a bill to create a discounted resident youth lifetime combo license during the 2023 legislative session. A limited number are officially for sale across the natural state. The discounted license will provide parents and legal guardians the opportunity to invest in their child's future as a sportsman or sportswoman. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission weighs a proposal to increase the availability of this license. Congressional Sportsman's Foundation celebrates the availability and potential to increase hunter and angler recruitment in the next generation. What a great opportunity for young people. We talk about R3, right? The recruiting, the retaining, and the reactivating. Well, here's your recruitment right here. Here's a great, here's a great opportunity, but it's that the retaining. And as we often talk about certain age demos that we lose uh, folks that participate in the outdoor pursuits. And it is very often once they got to start paying for it on their own, when they leave the nest. I mean, I think certainly most, uh, most places where, you know, a young person 16 or above, you know, they got to start buying in a license or no longer considered a youth or wherever youth is considered in your state. And they have to have a, a license, mom and dad, or, or whoever's in charge of the, the particular kid typically foot that bill until they leave the house. And that's where we start losing these folks. So, I mean, and we've already talked about it on this program and in prior uh, TSV articles, you know, the college, uh, the policy on college uh, in-state fees for non-residents, that policy is so important because that age demo, that that 18 to mid-20s where we lose folks, at least here in Arkansas with some of these, these, available opportunities to have a lifetime license, at least that cost is taken care of up front. So these young people, as they, they go through their life, as they're getting through college or whatever it is where we typically lose them in those specific age demos, uh, Arkansas is solving for that. Um, and again, as, as I mentioned, uh, great policy initiative in your state, if you don't have it, is, is to take care of the, the non-resident college students that spend so much of their time in your state and, and, you know, hooking them up with the resident, resident license fee. They're, they're already there. They're spending their time. They're spending their money in your community. Um, and it helps bridge that gap. Anyway, uh, we've talked about it. We can probably hit on that at another time, but good on Arkansas here for creating that opportunity. Great support coming out of the Southeast. Shout outs 
the 12 southeastern states from which governors signed National Hunting and Fishing Day proclamations included Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. That's awesome. We had 39 governors sign state proclamations recognizing National Hunting and Fishing Day. It was fantastic. Would love to have a full participation of 50, and certainly we here at Congressional Sports and Foundation are, are working towards that. So, uh, 2024, challenge has been laid down. If you were a non-signing governor, you heard hear this, you're missing out. We'd love to have you. So uh, let's see if we can get over the, the 40, maybe 45 next year, and then on to all 50. Would love to have you. I, speaking of experience, if people look up here in the Northeast, oh, well, there's no way you're going to get some of those up there. Five out of the six states here in New England, governors stepped up in, in spots you, uh, some people would look at and say, no, nah, there's no way. And, and definitely so, they recognize it. So um, here, another opportunity to, uh, to advocate, to educate, and, and let the governors of these other 11 states uh, know what we do as a community, the financial impacts of, of our community and the burden we put on our shoulders to fund conservation in our state agencies. That's a big deal. And we're happy to have these 12 governors recognize that. So thank you so much. And finally, on this TSV roundup, CFSF celebrates a temporary victory in protecting $190 million in conservation funding in Pennsylvania. However, the fight is not over. So here you had House Bill uh, 1300. This was a state appropriations bill. And in this monster bill, there was the lamest way to put this is that they were going to defer funds to pay for something else. And in doing so, it was going to put Pennsylvania in a bad spot for that, those PR dollars. So getting into it here, uh, House Bill 1300, the appropriations bill, was amended by the Senate to include the transfer of $150 million derived from gas and oil leases on state, uh, state game lands purchased with the revenue derived from licensed sales and wildlife restoration funds from the Game Commission Fund to the Clean Streams Fund. This amended version of the bill was introduced and passed by the Senate on the 30th of August. So again, you're, you're taking the money away from one thing to fund the Clean Streams Fund. Pennsylvania Game Commission uh, received $41 million in federal funding in FY23 from PR dollars, uh, the Pittman Robinson Wildlife Restoration Grant Fund Program. Passage and enactment of the previously written House Bill 1300 would likely declare Pennsylvania ineligible to receive future PR dollars. House Bill 1300 was amended in the House Rules Committee on the 4th of October to remove the transfer of $150 million from the game fund. The newly amended version is headed to the Senate Rules and Executive Nominations Committee for concurrence. A hearing has not yet been scheduled as of the writing of this article. Congressional Sportsman's Foundation took a leadership role in this. It was in contact with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Governor Shapiro's office, uh, the Pennsylvania Legislative Sportsman's Caucus, in addition to signing on to a joint letter of opposition with our conservation organizations and in the state and submitted a letter to the Senate Rules and Executive Nomination Committee 
urging concurrence of removing the transfer of game funds. So that happened. That was great. And uh, super, super job there by our boots on the ground and partnering with our partners in state and everyone rallying to that cause and recognizing uh, in those many pages of that bill the consequences of what could have happened. So way to rally and this TSV uh, roundup on a high note. So there you go. Again, you can always subscribe and get these uh, Mondays, most Monday nights around 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, sometimes we have an event week. They're pushed back a day. Simply, you guys can go to congressionalsportsman.org or you can just Google Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, the Sportsman's Voice, and it'll bring you right to there. You can fill in your basic information, who you are, and where you want that weekly newsletter to be dumped into, uh, whatever email you choose. Super easy. Costs you nothing and invaluable information. That's it for this week's TSV Roundup. We are going to get into the show here. Uh, we're very fortunate and lucky to sit down and have an opportunity to sit down with the chairman of the Congressional Sports and the Foundation Board, Mr. Richard Childress. He invited us into his RC Racing headquarters. Got to spend a bit of time with him in his office. Beautiful. It's like a natural history museum, right? And right in his office and a great many memories of, of hunting pursuits gone by. Let's get into it. Queuing up, Mr. Richard Childress. Let's go. All right. We are joined today uh, by the chairman of the Congressional Sports and Foundation Board, Mr. Richard Childress. Thank you so much for having us in your office, sir. Thank you, uh, Fred. If you look around here, uh, I think you'll see a lot of uh, conservation wildlife at its best right here. Yeah, I would agree. And we were remarking off air that uh, you know, it complements the, the conversation. This is wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to uh, start hunting and fishing as a, a young kid. And I remember the first, you know, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, uh, just as a young kid and uh, taught a lot about safety and hunting was the first two things I was taught. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to teach it to my grandchildren. A lot of people that I've been with, first-time hunters, we take veterans hunting. Just so many things like it that I enjoy about the great outdoors today. God's blessed us with a beautiful surrounding and to have the great wildlife. And for us, the conservationists, your hunters, your anglers, men and women are our greatest conservationists. Yeah, I would agree with that. So with that, uh, between racing, running successful businesses, your family, you give back to the sporting community and conservation community so generously. What is it about the Congressional Sports Foundation uh, that commands your passion and support as chairman of the board? Well, I, uh, I've been involved now probably a little over 20 years. Uh, we have the Wine, Wheels, and Wildlife this year. It will be our uh, 19th year. Mm. You know, I think looking at my grandchildren, I got great-grandchildren now. Uh, all the young people in America that's going to have to carry on the tradition of hunting and fishing, I want to leave a mark and try to leave everything better than when I was a kid and getting out there. They'll never see it like it was many, many years ago, but we it's up to us to help protect it for our future generations to enjoy the great outdoors that we have today. And uh, that's my passion. And the Congressional Sport, over the past five years, we've won 
over five over a thousand bills mm. statewide, federal. So those are things that would have been taking away if we had not had the Congressional Sportsman Foundation. They're our voice when it comes to Washington. Yeah, I I would agree as a, as one of the boots on the ground uh, in the New England area that um, personally my professional experience has taken me through a number of different organizations and, and being here on this team, the scene, the work that's done, and a lot of it behind closed doors and behind the scenes, it's really leaving a mark, this organization. And, and like you just said, protecting the future and getting those wins and, and, and advising and educating policymakers. Um, sometimes they do things they just don't understand, and then we can stand in and have in leadership like yourself to help work with these folks and, and maybe this is why this doesn't work here, and this is how this affects us down the line, you know? Yes. I, I think that, you know, there's so many great organizations that many of them are working to have policies also they work with. But Congressional Sportsman Foundation is usually right there working with any of their challenges. They're, they're working together with every organization but they are the number one voice in Washington when it comes, and in, in our states, when it comes to policy and protecting. And I cannot believe today some of the things that some of the people are out there trying to change in this world when it comes to hunting, fishing, boating, shooting, any of that. So it's a huge challenge, worse today than it's ever been in my life, and to have the Congressional Sportsman Foundation there standing by every time something comes up like this, that's a big mark. I would agree. I appreciate your, uh, your thoughts on that. Being here where we are today, RC Racing uh, Headquarters is a fantastic campus, and I can't help but wonder, your years of experience in the racing world, what, what is it about the NASCAR fan base? If, if you look back at so many everyday fans out there, you know, that, that work in your mills or steel mills or work wherever. And the same deal with hunters and anglers is they're the same type of uh, fan base that we have in NASCAR. It's the same type. You know, we just love this country. I think that's the number one thing with NASCAR fans and anglers and hunters and conservationists is we love this great country we live in called America. Yeah, certainly, you know, when you watch Sunday racing, you can see that uh, coming through loud and clear, the patriotism and the well-attended races. There's so many people in that, in that oval there that, that are, you know, then they spend the whole week there, you know, the, the community that is there. It's it, it often, I, I live in New Hampshire, so I think about loud and, and you go through uh, starting, I think, on Tuesday when they start coming in and people are camping out all week and it, it kind of reminds you of a hunt camp. Oh, it does, and and it's you. You'll go around at night, and you'll see campfires, and the the fans sitting around the camaraderie. But between everyone sitting around, and that's a huge thing about hunting and fishing, and and being in the great outdoors is spending time with your friends and family. Agree. As a leader, you have lots of leadership roles you have over your entire career, and here you are. What is one of the biggest challenges you've faced in any of the positions you've held or currently hold? You know, each one has its own challenges. I don't ever like to use the words problem. You know, problems are hard to fix. Challenges, you got a better opportunity to get in front of them and work on them. And I've just, uh, you know, I, 
I can't speak for each one of them because every one of them is different. I think the challenge today that we have with the Congressional Sportsman Foundation is letting our anglers and hunters and shooters understand really what CSF's about. You walk into a, a gun store, you walk around and ask, uh, do you know what the CSF is, Congressional Sportsman Foundation? Nobody knows. I'll tell you a quick story. I was driving back uh, from, I have some land here close. I'd been over that morning, took some folks hunting. And I seen these hunters, two of them coming out on a Sunday morning. It was Sunday morning. And they're orange. And I slowed and I just looked over at them and I thought, I just wonder if those two hunters that just coming out of the woods understand why they're capable or able to be able to hunt today on Sunday in North Carolina. And it's because of the Congressional Sportsman Foundation and a lot of other people was involved. But at the end of the day, I was there. So many people with the Congressional Sportsman Foundation was there in Raleigh helping get the bill passed for Sunday hunting. And no one, very few people know what they do. They just enjoy it. All the, the benefits has been put out there by the Congressional Sportsman. So if it's one thing I want to be able to do in my chairmanship and even beyond that is let everyone understand the great things that's going on with the Congressional Sportsman Foundation and how they touch so many people's lives that are not even anglers or hunters. And that's waterways and so many things and trails and stuff that uh, congressionals they're fighting for in Washington and in the states. That's a great point. And I, I, if I don't mind, would you expound on that a little bit? I mean, we, we recently had a, a conversation about some legislation out in, in California where the governor signed into to law a bill establishing another excise tax, and, and he called it a sin tax, on, on firearms and ammunition. So where we don't, where some people, the, the ones you just uh, pointed out, that the, the people that aren't out there uh, angling, hunting, or recreational shooting don't understand how the funding mechanism comes about. Talk a little bit more about that and the importance of that 80% out there who aren't participating and why that's important. Yes. You know, the uh, Pittman-Robertson Act was put in effect in the 30s, and that's an excise tax on all your uh, firearms, shooting, uh, anything like that to do with the outdoors. That's an excise tax that billions of dollars has been put back in through your uh through your states, you know, each year, each state gets a certain amount of that money that's raised and it goes to the fish and wildlife. And, uh, that's a big deal. And then it was in the fifties, the Daniel Johnson act came in and now there's an excise tax on your fishing and boating and stuff like that. And all that money goes back in to help support the outdoors for someone fishing or, or hunting or whatever it is. So that's the big two benefits that are uh, the conservation is, is, I'd said it earlier, is your men and women who are hunters, anglers, and recreational shooters. We were having a conversation this morning with some colleagues, and this very topic came up and comparing notes across the country and things that we're dealing with. And it's it often... It comes up about, you know, the, the folks we're talking about that aren't out there doing what we do. And, you know, it, it needs to be said again, the excise tax 
between PR dollars and Dingle Johnson. We asked for that as a community. That wasn't something the state or the federal government said, we're going to put this on you. The whole conservation community said, this is a good thing. We can pay this. And it's interesting when perhaps it's brought up, you know, the, the fella out there on a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard or bird watching, you say, okay, if you can you contribute to this and maybe there's something you feel magnanimous about, uh, whatever percentage is, whatever you think that $2 a year to watch birds or because the, the stand-up paddleboarder is using the same waterways we are as we're fishing. We're just, they may not be pulling fish out, but they are enjoying the clean water, swimming in it, recreating all day. Um, it's really important that they, they have an understanding of, of that. And, and, you know, for me, I would like to see more buy-in from those, those folks using and recreating out there. I would too. And I think at some point we will get more buy-in from them. It's just going to take some time to get them to understand what the Congressional Sportsman Foundation does. It opens those waterways. A lot of times there's so much of this. Uh, there's a bill being put in now to, to keep us from, uh, that's going to really affect the economics of our commercial fishermen. If you go from Florida, I think it is, to uh, New Hampshire, all the way up the East Coast, there, there's a law in there now called the White Wells uh, Act, and they're trying to fix it where you can't run over 10 knots for 100 miles out. Can you imagine wanting to get, if your boat's over 35 feet, can you imagine that happening, how the economic impact and how it's going to affect so many people? Now in the Gulf side, they're trying to do the same thing to every boat. So if you've got a bass boat or anything, they're trying to put it where you can't run over 10 knots. And it's insane. Uh, to do what they're doing. And that's one of the great things that the Congressional will, will be in here fighting. We're, those are two big bills that we're looking hard at right now. Yeah, and, and I guess specifically since you brought them up, do you think it's a matter of advocacy and education on that part? It, it seems so often specific pieces of legislation come up that are perhaps well-intended, but again, they don't see the depth of that well-intended uh, legislation they're they're putting forth and then when we act and and we put our representatives in their in their offices or in front of them and they have these conversations you go a couple levels deep do you do you think that's where, where we're at with most of these or some of this like the one we're talking about right now with the fishermen you know is it just a matter of controlling that that industry well i i think that they have other things in sight mm. in the back of their mind but at the end of the day, any of these things that come up like this one, I'm just using one for example, uh, there's no science behind it that says that it should be put in as a law. Number one, I, I'm giving you my opinion. I think there has to be science behind a lot of this stuff that's put in there that will make it clear that this isn't the reason we're doing it. The reason they're doing it, if if you know, I'm just using numbers. I don't know the exact numbers. If there's been three whales hit in the last five years by boats 35 foot and bigger, you know, maybe a, uh, a barge or whatever's out there, then there's no science that says this is a reason we got to cap, you know, re, you know, we got to stop our everybody with a 35 plus boat. You know, they got to pay the the price for nothing. Because there's no science behind mm -hmm. it. So that's just my opinion. Yeah, as, as often as the case. And then when you have that, 
that authority, that science behind it, then these things start to make sense. But if you if you don't have that, you know, that's certainly the caution signs need to go up before we start, I think, legislating these things and putting laws on the book. And then furthermore, uh, having the opportunity, okay, so if this is a perceived issue or someone's saying it, let's let's suss this out and then have an opportunity. We have a lot of smart people in this country and in the uh, in the world of academics and, and young people that are brilliantly minded that would love to study this stuff. And I think to your point, if we could bear this out and have peer-reviewed articles that people can, can refer to and, and have a, a body of research, we could all help each other out. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's so many sources today that we can get the answers we need before you throw a piece of legislation out there, legislation out there for, uh, to be voted on. And sometimes some of these things that pop up that somebody may be in a state that doesn't even have anything to do. Every state, we got all 50 states on board with us now at the Congressional Sportsman Foundation, but it may be, you know, a senator or, or whoever that doesn't really understand the great outdoors will just send, okay, you know, let's go with it. So it has to be Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline deeper research done, I think, before anything's put out there to be voted on. So what's interesting is, as you're talking, I'm having this thought, the other side of that coin is, you know, it's it's not always like a doom and gloom scenario where a legislator is putting something that's going to put a restriction on, on our outdoor community. Sometimes we have some really motivated, enthusiastic folks that want to put very positive legislation forward but don't have the understanding of what that entails. So, for instance, right to hunt and fish amendments in the state constitutions. While people want to gung-ho and get that done and get it done in one session, uh, it takes a, a fair amount of educating our own community what that process is to bring something like that to fruition. And it's kind of a longer game. We just can't do this in one session. Yeah, it's uh, the whole, that's a great point. You know, that I think that having the... Uh, amount of time to look at all of these different things is critical. And I think there's so many pro bills that, like I said, a thousand in uh, uh, the last five years that, that CSS have been involved with. But just think how many probably got bias, you know, because we need to build the congressional sportsmen stronger and bigger in every state. Our statewide is so important, and you're in New Hampshire up in there, and you probably got a few states you're having to look after. And I just want to see this thing built to where we can stay in there and stop the bad bills and get the good bills passed. And it's a great segue into one of the last couple of questions here as we wrap up. You know, you started to allude to it earlier when you are talking, making it personal about your family and what your hopes and aspirations are for, for your own line and, and what you hope your great-grandchildren are allowed to have. And kind of a big 40,000-foot picture in the next 10 to 20 years, you know, is, what, what do you hope? What do you hope happens for our community? Well, number one, I hope this country stays strong as it's always been for the last 200 and some years. 
that's my first hope for my grandchildren. I can't uh, imagine what their lives will be if they're 30 now. What's it going to be like when they're 60? I uh, look at you. What's this world going to be like with you got to live in when you're my age? And and for the great grandchildren, you know, you you just wonder what they're going to see. But in the next 10 to 20 years, I see a lot of the funding that uh, groups like PETA and some of these groups like that have. That's going to be a big challenge, and we got to be able to have be strong enough to fight them and stop them on a lot of the things they want to do. I just want to see when my great-grandchildren someday— What's happening in this country, we're building so fast, we're losing so many places to hunt and fish. I'd love to see it where we still got our, our forestries, places that we can go out, and these kids will always be able to go out and hunt. We got to protect our Second Amendment, number one. That has to be part of uh, the future for our, uh, our children and grandchildren. Without our Second Amendment, it's going to be difficult. We can't even protect our own homes and our own lives. So that's something I got to, that we all got to get behind and make sure that's number one, that we protect it. Number two, I think keeping enough of open land and areas for them, uh, for everyone to be able to use and hunt 10 to 20 years from now is going to be a critical movement. If it's BLM land or, or forest land or whatever it can be that we can still hunt on. And there's a lot still left, but not like it was when I was coming up for sure. Those are some of the challenges I see, but I hope that in the next 10 years that a lot of these things will still be safe and still be in hand for the next generations. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And then, you know, I, not to end the interview on a kind of a somber note, so I want to kind of lighthearten this. Again, we, I referenced the beautiful space we're in. There's lots of uh, great memories here by way of the beautiful taxidermy that, that surrounds us. Um, is there one memorable hunt that stands out to you, or is it even possible to do? You know, it's kind of not a, a fair that's question. A great, that's <laughs> a great question. You know, I think as I look back, I've been fortunate to go all over the world from uh, Turkey to uh, Mongolia to every, all over the world hunting. And but I think back, and I think a couple of the most memorable hunts that I was on was when my great my grandson shot his first deer. He was seven years old. And he says, I said, what do you think? He said, I think I'm pooped in my pants. <laughs> and then my other grandson, we went to Texas, and this is a great thing about, these are memories that I'll never forget. I can remember hunting all these different species and and doing all I can. But my other grandson, Ty Dillon, the first one was Austin Dillon, my other grandson, Ty Dillon. I remember going to Texas and him buying his first hunting license and him standing there signing that hunting license. And uh, I said, it made me proud to know that Texas can have youth that can go, you can take them hunting. And he, he got his license and signed it. I should have kept them. I don't know if he kept them. But uh, then I think, look back at him. We're sitting in a blind in Texas, and uh, there's some deer come out. I said, we think, Ty, you want that deer? He says, I've shot a bigger one. Let's save it for someone else. Mm. So that's the kind of things that stand out in my hunting. I've took them both to Africa, Mexico, all over around hunting. But those are two that really, 
you know, when they were really young kids getting out and going hunting that I, uh, I'll always remember their special moments. That's fantastic. You know, if you could just find a way to bottle that, that love, that, that all of it, that, that you just talked about and find a way to, and get that in the hands of new people, it would change them forever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mentorship is the biggest thing that we have to have today in the outdoors and hunting and fishing and everything that we do is become a great mentor to someone. And, and if you're out there today, uh, and you're not a member of the uh, sporting society, you need to join because that's where we need the support today is, is for not only our big manufacturers and company that helps support CSF, but we need the individuals that understand what CSF is to support. So if you're not a sporting society member, go online, take a look and join. That's well said, sir. Thank you for having us in today. Thank you for your leadership. And, um, you know, we're down here, so we're looking forward to a, a wonderful event this evening. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here and take a tour of our museum. We have a wildlife conservation area up there. Take a look at it. You'll really enjoy. Thank you so much, sir. Yes, sir. Again, thanks so much to, to Mr. Childress for having us in to his office, for uh, giving us some time, especially on a very busy day. Uh, as you heard mentioned, our wine, wheels, and wildlife event was occurring uh, that night when we were, we were sitting there. So all hands on deck, all of uh, our CSF, most of the staff was there at uh, Childress Vineyards. Beautiful, beautiful facility, beautiful vineyard with all the grapes and the hill. Just a fantastic spot. And uh, stepped away a little bit to have to have the opportunity to sit down with him and you know, ask him some, some great questions. I really appreciated his, his candor, appreciated the answers that he had and, you know, getting a little insight. Not every day folks get to sit down with that man, given, uh, all the things he has to do throughout a day. And again, I'm just, it's valuable to hear his perspective, to hear his voice on some things. Certainly some of the lighthearted moments of the interview, I appreciated him uh, talking about his very famous grandsons and, uh, given the countings of some hunts there. That's fantastic. At the end of the day, you know, and this is, I say this all the time, hunting, fishing, and, and to another extent, recreational shooting, I, these are all equalizers. So, you know, someone like me ends up being on the same level as someone like Mr. Children. That's a fact. He may be able to go to different parts of the world for different, different pursuits because of his hard work throughout his life. But ultimately, you know, we're out there pursuing different animals, different adventures, but he's got just as much of a chance of being successful as, as I do, as you do. You put us out there in a turkey hunt, man, you talk about the, the complete equalizer, <laughs> right? So uh, I always use turkey hunting as an example there, but hey, all walks of life. And that's what's fantastic about what we do in our community. And again, you, you hear about the, uh, the lighthearted memories of, like I said, his very famous grandsons. They're just, they're just people. They were just kids at one point, pulling the trigger for the first time, having that first experience, remembering their first deer, their first turkey, how that went down. And I can remember mine. I can remember my daughter's. You can remember yours and your kids and your grandkids, most likely. It, you could be white collar to the moon. You could be just starting your life out scraping Every penny living paycheck to paycheck, but if you're out there creating these memories, they are all very similar. 
again, no matter what walk of life you're from. And, you know, it's, I, I keep saying it, it's the great equalizer. And moreover, that means most people have the opportunity to go do this stuff and should. Mr. Childress talked about mentorship in that same line of thinking and how important that is. I love that he said it. I love hearing it from someone in his leadership position with his experience. And it just, you hear it all the time from certain groups, you know, certain conservation groups, and they're not wrong. Uh, but, you know, it, I, I guess it, for me, it gives a little weight behind it when someone like him says yeah, mentorship. And if he can get out there and be a mentor, we can, as, as a community, we can all take somebody out, introduce somebody to this, be part of that, that, that cycle, that mentorship cycle. Um, you know, we talk about what the next 10 to 20 years, I hope it's still here that that starts with bringing more people into, into what we do. Anyway, I, I find it, it reminds me, uh, my time in the military, kind of anecdotal, but it's the same line of thinking. I worked for a couple of years in a special detail for a four-star general who at the time when I worked for him, we had, uh, we had just been attacked, you know, 9-11 occurred and we're post the attacks. We're in war fighting mode, high ops tempo, but we were still expected to, to meet certain standards when it came to physical fitness, readiness, uh, and as was a four-star general, you know, uh, in their advanced age and their advanced experience. And this general, I happened to be in the same space when he was giving this, this talk to some, some colleagues and some other enlisted folks and junior officers in his office. And he says, he was getting ready to go to the gym. I mean, there's a point to this. And this four-star looks at all of us and says, with my schedule, with all I got going on in the world, and mind you, this is air combat command. So a lot of your fighters, a lot of the stuff going down range is coming, coming right through here. And he's in charge of all of it at headquarters. He says, if I got all this to do and I can find an hour a day to get to the gym, so can you. It was kind of profound. I was like, oh, yeah. I suppose if this guy who's holding it down and, and running a war, uh, running contingency operations downrange, um, and then eventually on, on two, two fronts, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I guess I can get to the gym for, for a time during my day. Yeah. So there's the correlation, right? Uh, Likewise, with, with Mr. Childress saying, you know, he can do it. If he can get out there and do that, so can we all. I thought that was valuable. Again, just, just a great time. We ended up having a wonderful evening. So many great guests, so many people, you know, I recognize industry leaders, um, political leaders. Had some great speakers. Um, Sergeant Major Payne, Congressional Medal of Honor recipient for his his time it was an honor to to meet him and render a salute as you as you do customarily when you when you put in front of a medal of honor recipient he got up and spoke and spoke wonderfully about the outdoors and what that means to to uh, the veteran community and getting out into wild spaces and man we we did a lot of good for the the, the mission of CSF that evening. And, and again, a tip of the cap to my colleagues, to the uh, Childress Vineyard staff, the other staff that came in to help, the folks that donated so generously to the event. 
some wonderful opportunities, uh, Mr. Childress included. Some race day packages were made available. People are going to have just an awesome time. You know, these are, these are unique opportunities that you're not going to find anywhere else. And, and I've been a part of some great many fundraising events and saw some really cool stuff uh, this particular evening. Again, it's, it's just a never-to-be-seen, replicated kind of stuff. Like these are once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that people got to take advantage of and while doing so directly support our mission to continue what we're doing in the States, on the Beltway, Capitol Hill. Vitally important and so much fun. Just so much fun. Some folks being able to let their hair down a little bit and just kind of relax. And again, the great neutralizer, all of us having similar conversations about outdoor pursuits and what our goals and aspirations and what we want to see for the next decade or two, God willing. Just a fantastic time. And uh, again, a beautiful backdrop there in, in North Carolina. It was, it was just a great pleasure to, to be a part of that. So all told, one successful trip. Thanks again to our guest. Thank you to his staff for helping set that up and, uh, you know, inviting us into, literally into his home. It's just, just so wonderful. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed the, the exclusive access we're able to bring you here on this program because um, you're not going to hear conversations like that every day on other programs. They do a great job, but I'd uh, like to think we do it a little better and we're able to offer you, our audience, those, those behind-the-scene exclusive access conversations that, again, you're not going to hear anywhere else. And that's what we're doing with this project. That's what we're doing with this podcast, the Sportsman's Voice po podcast. Share it. Like I say, every, every time we get together, far and wide, take this episode, grab a link from Apple or Spotify, and just text it to a friend or family member you think is going to appreciate this. This one, a race fan, hey, check this out. You know, they're, they're talking hunting with uh, Richard Childress. Like, that's pretty cool, man. So you can do that. Throw it up on a story. I mean, why not? That's easy. Everyone's got stuff on their stories. Throw it on there. Drop the link. Check out this cool episode of the Spartan's Voice podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you for your support. There's a great many things you can do that cost you nothing but about 10 seconds of your time that uh, on the back end of this, you're going to hear all about. So until next time, thanks so much. Appreciate your support. Be kind to each other. Be safe out there in those outdoor pursuits. We're, we're getting to be in the thick of it. The rut is forthcoming. If you're a whitetail hunter, we're in it. This is a great time of the year. So uh, get home safe to your loved ones. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Sportsman's Voice podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, your support is crucial, and you can help us out right now by leaving a review, filling in those five stars where available, sharing this episode with friends and family, and engaging with us socially. CSF can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Together, we can protect the outdoor sports we love and continue to keep you informed wherever you are. That's it for this week. Until next time, see you later.